everybody. We'd like to welcome you back to Be a Better Leader podcast. This is season five, where we're focusing on setting and executing your 2023 goals. Um, We're focusing today on winnable game versus the uncertainty stall. So we'll talk about what that means. I'm really excited to share with you um, our guest. I'm Scott Thiel. I'm a national practice leader in the U.S. and Canada. I'm being joined by Karsten Lingard, who is our execution practitioner across Scandinavia, and Ray McGrath, who is based in the UK. He's the practice leader there through most of Europe, I think, at this point. So, gentlemen, it is so great to see you again. Great seeing you and great being on. Awesome. I'm so excited for for what we get to share and learn today. So one of the things, let's start, start off with ambiguity and why it's such a big barrier to execution and let's uh, let's start with ray ray what do you think about that well it's interesting saying it's a barrier isn't it um when actually there are so many instances when that's the choice that's actually the route that so many will take there's almost um i don't know i don't know what you think but there's almost a safety in ambiguity And for me, it's this difference between a spotlight and a floodlight. So so when that spotlight is on, when there isn't ambiguity, it's absolutely precise. It's kind of bright and strong. Um, But a floodlight that's in its more general, I don't know, I encounter so many clients where there's almost a comfort there. So... I'm not sure whether that answers this first question that well, but it's it's what I immediately think of when I think of ambiguity. I actually think you know, the opposite. I actually think of the attraction of it. You know, that is a fantastic point, and we've definitely seen that. It's almost like leaders don't want to place their bets. They want to hedge their bets. Um, they want they, If I say no to this, what if that was the good idea? Uh, so I have to hear, Karsten, what do you think about what, what Ray said? And overall, why is ambiguity such a barrier to goal execution? Well, I, I think it's something to do with, with the difficulty of, of, of getting alignment. It's, it's so much easier just to have the flexibility and to go where you would like to go without the commitment to really one or two you know, um, goals. It's, it's a lot easier to have that flexibility, and especially when we talk Scandinavian culture, there's a lot that, that kind of are nodding in the meeting room, and then when they go out, they kind of go wherever they, 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 they would like to go. Um, so I think that commitment that comes with it is difficult for, uh, for a lot of leaders. Um, yeah, I think that's true uh, to varying degrees globally, right? Mm-hmm. Where where people will say, okay, sure, I'm behind you in the meeting. And then when they go out of the meeting, because it's ambiguous, they kind of do what they were doing before the meeting started. Is that a little bit about what you meant on that one, Karsten? Absolutely. And, and also because some of the wording, it's difficult to commit to a fancy word. What does it mean if there's not a measure behind it? It's easy just to say, well, I thought this, and then another one thought this, and then it, it, it seems on the surface to be aligned. But when you get down to it, it's actually misaligned. Oh, that's such an important piece, right? We, we fool ourselves if we say the same words that we mean the same thing. And until we get really specific, and you said the term metric, until we measure something and agree upon how, we can really fool ourselves. 
Um, Ray, let's talk about how creating lead measures can help reduce ambiguity. Right, so the lead measures then, Scott, you, you're referring to this kind of articulation of behaviours, isn't it, of actions that people can take. It's interesting, isn't it, because this articulation of a direction to go in, I mean, it's a great start. It's something that people can get behind and um, also quite comfortable to be in those settings to say, yes, we're all headed in that particular direction. But it, but it's quite another for the people closest to the work to say, well, these are the actions I'm going to take. These are the behaviours that I'm going to engage in. So that that's where that that really um, intriguing phrase, lead measure, that, that thing that leads to the outcome, I mean, in itself, it's an interesting philosophy. But when you actually witness a group of human beings coming together in a room and saying, Do you know what, I, I believe, I'm closest to the work and I believe certain actions or certain behaviours will lead to that outcome. Just the just the act of doing that is so galvanizing, isn't it? I, I, I feel it speaks to the very human condition um, of, of, to Carsten's point, of being aligned, of getting behind. I really, I really don't think people get behind a marketing statement or a phrase or, a, or an aspiration. I really don't. I, what they get behind is the behaviors or the actions that they jointly commit to and they get behind. Oh, I love what you said right there because leaders fool themselves by thinking we are saying the same thing and we, we get rid of that when we really pay the price to get down to a target. And I think the team members can kind of fool themselves on, oh, we're already doing it until they agree upon measuring those behaviors. And thank you for giving that little definition around the measures so that we commit to making actions. Um, so. Carson, let's flip to you on why, why is it so important to have the team members involved in creating those agreed upon activities or lead measures? Well, for me, it's all about choice. If you really want to have engagement, it it's, it's really comes down to that people have a choice because when, it, when it's something to do with behavior, if it's something that's, that's kind of like put on you and you don't have a choice, it's really hard to be engaged. But when you start brainstorming, what is it actually we can do as a team? What is the behavior that's going to impact that overall goal that we have? And then you have to agree around, you know, the fewest ones that's going to have the biggest impact, what we call the 80-20 rule. And, 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 and see the team getting that agreement. And, and, and obviously, when you start the journey, you don't know which behavior is actually going to, to have the biggest impact. But that's a part of the journey that, that it's kind of exploring as a team. And then when they see the team, when they figure out that this behavior, when we do this, this is having a significantly impact on our success as a team. That's where you see engagement sparks in. So for me, that's, that's kind of like so exciting to see a team that really kind of get, gets all in. Yeah, I love, and you've seen it, right? You can see the looks on their faces when they realize that they genuinely have a choice 
in choosing what they're going to commit to do. So, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, it's quite scary, Ray, so though, Scott, really... isn't it? I was just going to say, it's quite scary, <laughs> isn't it? Do you not think? It, it is. That, that I, and Carsten, I absolutely agree with you. That it's, yeah, it's choice. It's a beautiful thing. I have a, a client that I work with in the Middle East, and um, it, actually even in France and in Germany, there's certain cultural differences where, well, come on, it's the boss, isn't it, that decides what we should be doing. And there's almost this institutionalized culture, and I'm, I'm definitely not saying it's right or wrong, but a culture that says, well, the, 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 the smartest, the brightest, the most senior, they determine it. So it's, um, yeah, it's easy to say. It's tough to do, though. I agree with you. So exciting. But it can be can be scary. I, I, you know, a lot of our clients, they, they, need, they need a lot of encouragement, I, I would say. Well, and I, yes, and traveling the world, having done this with groups around, it's a little bit different. You're right, both of you, you know, in how that shows up. But when it gets there, it's so exciting, especially in a culture that perhaps had not been very connected to the front lines uh, engagement before. To watch them kind of look at each other and say, is it okay this time? Are we really going to be able to pick? So that's exciting to me. Um, Ray, let's just uh, continue with you. What do you think that whole process, um, how does it align to letting people feel like they're playing a winnable game? Well, I'd say there's a stage before it, which is so, actually it's quite easy to forget because it, there's, um, there's this great philosophy, isn't there, where leaders are there to set a compass heading. And that's kind of what the money is for. So set, set that compass heading, set the direction. Um, and then pretty much then allow the business to follow or fuel the business to follow. Um, or maybe they go completely the other end and say, oh, no, it's all about the, the people participating in the decision as well. And, and then, of course, you've got that dreadful situation where it's just one big committee. So before I kind of answer that question on the lead measure, there is that stage beforehand is that by the time it gets to me on my team and I've got to work out my lead measures, do I feel like I've been intrinsically included in the definition of my goal, of the, of the direction of travel for me? So, so for me, that's the foundation of it. That's where, that's where it truly begins. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's fairer, Carsten, for you to take it from there. I know you, you and I have had such similar experience that, that, that really profound experience in a room where a team know they really do believe in this set direction. It's really up to them then to think about behaviors and actions that follow. Yeah, so please, Carson, take the next step. So one of the things around feeling like you have a winnable game is, am I clearly connected to the, the goal that I'm um, participating in? So do I, did I have a voice? Do I clearly understand? Do I see how it's connected? So now, Carson, take us down a level and say, what else is required to make those people feel like they have a really winnable game? Well, I think it's... When the team have been engaged and really feel like there's a trust in the team, they can figure it out. And when they start to see that they actually can influence the goal and it's progressing, meaning that the lead measure is actually moving forward and then they can see the lead measure is having an impact on the lag measure. That's where you can see a team really grow and the confidence they get from it 
it's not that different from a football team that start winning, you know, that have been losing for a while or, or actually, you know, didn't know they were playing football, you know, but, but then start realizing that we can actually make a difference on this goal. That's where you see this confidence comes in on the team and that's for me is also where it's not just about the goal it's when you get that confidence into a team it not only affects the goal that actually are sitting above the team the one they are focusing on it's 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 kind of like spreading to everything around the team yes so so that's the exciting piece of it when you get this winnable game up it spreads and and, and even sometimes you will think that some team members will never get there. But when a team start lifting together, those that you thought were lost, you know, sometimes will actually join and they will join willingful. But you cannot, you cannot tell them to join before oh. they feel the energy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Carson, that's such a great point. And don't you love when you get surprised? And one of my favorite examples is in a heavy manufacturing, somebody that's been there 35 years <laughs> and they always say, you'll never win over that guy. And um, after he sees the wheel spinning, he can become a champion for this. That's uh, one of my favorite things to witness is somebody that people wrote off that gets very engaged um, and maybe in the twilight of their careers has a fantastic opportunity to leave a legacy. That's great. Um, Ray, let's talk about this. One of the things that, that really is important is translating all of this theory into a mechanism that allows us to day in and day out, at least on a weekly basis, reconnect. So could you talk a little bit about scoreboarding and then the weekly cadence, so the weekly commitments that we make and how that impacts ambiguity and uncertainty? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And I, I would say so many organizations quite rightly overcome their ambiguity and uncertainty with uh, measuring the business as a whole and the classic metrics that matter um, for an entire business, they could be financial, operational, and so on. And of course, that that, that must exist. Um, and great work from people like Kaplan on Balanced Scorecard is, 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 is so well grounded in that. But wow, when, um, when a team that has gone through this experience of helping to define their direction, their path, to end, uh, uh, architect the actions, the behaviors that they're going to get behind when equipped to keep score and keep score in a way that suits them in a manner that they can connect with, that they can relate to. Wow. It, there's something so special about that. I worked with a um, utilities organization last year and they literally, although virtually, because it was all virtual, but they were able to walk around on a weekly basis. There was this rhythm every week they would walk from scoreboard to scoreboard and you would witness again those closest to the work showing their passion their commitment to the behaviors and actions that they've engaged in um, and it's it, just a beautiful thing to see that it isn't just philosophical or aspirational it's real when you really see that connection because they are keeping score and it isn't being imposed on them especially important piece Oh, yeah. The ownership of scorekeeping sure. is so, so important. Well, one question for you both. I want you to, if you could think of a time or an example, but have you personally had to fight through the fog of ambiguity? Karsten, uh, let's start with you. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
you know, coming from from the U.S. as a practice leader, coming back to Europe and then going through um, uh, the the pandemic, um, had to change everything. Um, being used to working international and and being there physically, and then suddenly have to do everything virtually, kind of <laughs> creates a lot of ambiguity and 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 also things that you have told yourself not can be done virtually actually yes. figuring it out that it can be actually done uh, in a different way but as good virtually so so for me it's it's actually been so exciting to go through that ambiguity and get out on the other side and and now being able to to do what we do in a virtual world world that that actually can be even more effective than we we did before so so yeah, that's just one example, but I could, I could, I could. It's a great example, and having lived through that with you, my friend, um, I, yeah. I felt that as well. Ray, what about you? Yeah, prior to doing this, uh, this role, um, I was the service and ops director of a one billion euro IT services business. One of the aspects of the business I had to look after was about two hundred and fifty field service engineers. My ambiguity actually came from their clarity. They had clarity on a metric that was associated with SLA, service level agreements. So customer has a problem, we respond within four hours. And so this was so clear to them. And yet there was ambiguity in the boardroom with us on contribution on, we called it services contribution. So, so where, where was the cost being sunk here? And it wasn't until we changed the metric that mattered to the retention of our customers did we realize that no longer should we have service engineers literally sat around waiting for the phone to ring. Now they were working proactively. Now they were doing maintenance proactively. Now they were supporting account managers. So I, it, it's maybe a slightly strange angle to take, but ambiguity can be deceiving it it presented itself to me as precision and as a metric but it skewed the view so yeah that was my fog that lifted when we shifted to the loyalty of our clients well paying the price to get that from the top to the bottom and i think the the winnable game concept if that is a paradigm from leaders and it's a requirement every time we go down a level, I think, Ray, to your point, that will help connect the dots so that when I do choose a specific metric, it's a metric that's aligned strategically instead of a very clear activity. So that, that's fantastic. Um, our time is short. I know I just uh, need to, to thank you both so much. I, I think today we talked about uh, getting clear um, the ambiguity from leaders making sure that we have a clear winnable game there and ensuring in that process that we facilitate clarity uh, at the next level down and so on so that people understand their their piece. Their, they have a voice in it and then they have an opportunity to choose the behaviors that are going to drive that. So thank you both. It's been a fantastic pleasure. Uh, I wish you guys continued success and can't wait to see you again. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.